Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Ranking Presidents Podcast. I'm Bradley Cooper. And I am Curtis Cooper. And today, it's finally time. It's finally time to tackle Ronald Reagan. Ronald Baines Reagan! (laughs) (laughs) This is one that's been, you know, months, even years in the making. Yep, yep, yep. Looming. Looming, because he is... He's probably the symbol of the modern Republican Party. Absolutely, 100%. Even even if they don't necessarily follow his ideas as much anymore, Mm -hmm. because neoconservatism, while still exists in the form of Mitch McConnell, (laughs) until Mitch McConnell dies, is going to exist. It's kind of shifted, but there's still the shadow of Reagan over everything today. Absolutely. Like, if nothing else, like, he's been, like, deified. Yes. Even, like, to a certain degree, definitely ideologically even more than Lincoln is. Mm Mm-hmm, for sure. But we don't really, we don't know yet. Was he a good president? Was he a bad president? It's hard to say. And I think part of that is because, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, Reagan was a man who knew his optics and he knew them well. Yes, he did. He could spin a yarn. but And just like every modern president and pretty much every president, uh, the answer to whether he was good or not is complicated. Yes. <laughs> so this is going to be two parts. The first part we're going to look at his early life and his foreign policy. So Curtis... Tell us a little bit about who was Ronald Reagan the man. All right. So Ronald Reagan was born on February 6th. Now, this is all coming from the Miller Center, by the Mm -hmm. way. February 6th, 1911, in Tampico, Illinois. His family, father, Jack, mother, Nell, and older brother, Neil. Neil. (laughs) That's an inside joke that would take, like, literal, like, hours to explain. Yes. Maybe one day we'll explain it. One day. (laughs) Moved to a success moved to a succession of towns in Illinois as his nomadic father searched for sales work. You know, I wouldn't expect Reagan to have come from Illinois. Yeah, I know, right? I'd expect him somewhere glamorous. Yeah, somewhere flashy because he eventually moved to California. In 1920, the Reagans settled in Dixon, which Ronald Reagan considered his hometown. Ronald's gregarious father, Jack Mm. Reagan, had a grade school education and a gift of salesmanship. He was a salesman. Mm, I see where Reagan got it. (laughs) He was an able salesman but was hampered by persistent alcoholism. He died in 1941. Ronald's mother, Nell Wilson Reagan, nurtured and encouraged her sons and gave freely to charities even though the Reagans were poor. Mm -hmm. As an adult, Ronald Reagan often reminisced fondly about his mother's compassion and generosity. Nell Reagan died in 1962. Reagan, then known by his boyhood nickname of Dutch, Dutch. (laughs) graduated in 1928 from Dixon High School, where he showed interest in dramatics, drawing, and journalism. No member of his family had any higher education, but young Ronald Reagan enrolled at Eureka College near Peoria. It makes sense he would go to Eureka College. Eureka. <laughs> he worked on his way through he worked his way through college with dishwashing and other jobs, also sending money home and inducing his brother to enroll at Eureka. I'm always I'm already getting the sense of sort of that, you know, all-American story. Yeah, just getting yep. that sense. He and, he definitely came from humbler beginnings than I expected him to. Yeah. Side note about this, he actually continued doing some of those charitable work while he was president, just randomly. Because my dad actually told me a story when a woman would just send him a letter asking for money, and he would write a check and send it to them. Mm -hmm. And apparently this woman had it framed, because Reagan knows the check hadn't been cashed yet. So he called this woman personally. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure how true the story is, but this one my dad's told. And she said, well, I got framed. He was like, you need to cash that. You need the money. And she did. That's amazing. Yeah. He definitely, he definitely was, like, interpersonally a nice dude. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ronald Reagan was an indifferent college student. He majored in economics and received mostly C's. <laughs> but Reagan threw himself into extracurricular activities, especially dramatics, and played on the football team. 
He was notoriously later in his presidency a Washington then Redskins fan. Yeah, and then it became the Washington football team, yep. and now it's the Washington Commanders. Yep. Who, as you were telling me, the Colts quarterback was just traded to them. Yep. Good riddance. <laughs> Goodbye, Carson Wentz. Hello, Matt Ryan. We're excited about that. Yep. <laughs> Following graduation, at a time when a quarter of Americans were unemployed, Reagan found work as a radio announcer, first in Davenport, Iowa, then later in Des Moines. Reagan struggled at first, but in time became one of the best-known sports announcers in the Midwest. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. He also became a popular speaker before Des Moines' service groups and enlisted as a reserve officer in the U.S. Cavalry. Get this, so he could ride horses regularly. (laughs) (laughs) I could do with me a horse. (laughs) Uh, let's see. Um, but he dreamed of bigger things. Mm-hmm. In 1937, Reagan went to California with the Chicago Cubs baseball team on spring training and arranged through a friend for a screen test at Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers offered Reagan a contract for $200 a week that launched his film career. I've never actually seen a Ronald Reagan film. I feel like I should watch one just because. We totally should. That'll be like that'll be like the, the $20 Patreon tier. Everybody can log on to Twitch and we'll watch it together. Yes. We'll plug our Patreon at the end. Stay yes. tuned. Yes, we will. It's been too long and we keep forgetting. Yep. <laughs> During the next 20 years, Reagan made 52 films, beginning with Love is, in, is, on, Love is on the Air in 1937 mm. and ending with Hellcats of the Navy in 1957. Reagan began his movie making in the B division of Warner's, where he said, quote, they didn't want the films good, they wanted them Thursday. <laughs> his break came when his friend, the actor Pat O'Brien, recommended him for the role of doomed Notre Dame football star George Gipp in Newt Rockney, All-American, a 1940 film, mm-hmm. in which O'Brien had the title role. Reagan was a feature film actor from then on, receiving particularly good notices for a dramatic role in King's Row, which Reagan considered his best film. Overall, Reagan earned a reputation as a capable actor who did his best work in light comedies. <laughs> After, this is, this is, I'm getting an interesting picture of him. Yep, Very yep. interesting picture. After his film career ended, Reagan became a spokesman for General Electric, hosting the highly rated Sunday television program General Electric Theater and speaking to GE employees around the country. Hmm. Which is interesting. Kind of a weird buffer between that and his political career. Yeah. Now let's talk about his early political career. And this... Brad, we are going to bust some preconceived notions today. Okay. Even more so. Okay. And because I know a few yeah. pre- things that are going to shock some people. Yep. But lay it on us. We're what g- was Reagan like yep. as an early politician? All right. So, Reagan admired President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Oh, you know, now that is interesting. It's spicy. Me. It's that really is spicy. very interesting. Whose, quote, New Deal for the American people provided jobs for his father and brother during the depths of the Depression. Makes sense. Hmm. His parents were Democrats in a Republican area, and Ronald Reagan remained a Democrat until he turned 50. Hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is all very interesting. It, I mean, it, it feels a little bit salacious to say this. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you imagine telling someone, hey, did you know Ronald Reagan used to be a Democrat? <laughs> <laughs> he was a triggered liberal. <laughs> Although he never lost his admiration for FDR, Reagan bega- became an ardent conservative and switched his registration to Republican in 1962. That's literally like a few years before he started running for president. Hmm. Reagan's political and ideological evolution was the result was the product of numerous factors: increased wealth, okay, and the higher taxes that accompanied it, conf- conflicts with leftist union leaders as an official of the Screen Actors Guild, 
and exposure in his General Electric days to a growing view that the federal government, epitomized by the New Deal, was stifling economic growth and individual freedom. So it's almost like his experiences in his job sort yep. of and the increased wealth led him down that mm-hmm. path. It's a fascinating turn. Mm-hmm. And like something that like ideologically is very in line with like stuff that like I mean, I think I think we've all heard that like, oh yeah, like College students are liberal, but once you get a real job and get a sense for how taxes really work, you'll be conservative. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, that's debatable. Hit or miss. Yeah, debatable. (laughs) That view formed the essence of the speech Reagan gave on October 27th, 1964, when he burst onto the national political scene with a stirring televised appeal for Republican presidential candidate Barry Goldwater. Using many of the stories and statistics that that had become staples of his basic GE speech, Reagan contended that government restrictions and taxation were causing the erosion of individual freedom within the U.S. He also decried what he saw as the weakness of the U.S. government in the face of the expansive Soviet Union, which Reagan said was bent on world domination. His performance inspired Republicans and raised $1 million in contributions for the faltering Goldwater campaign. Although Goldwater lost the election in a landslide, conservatives had found a new standard bearer in Reagan. Mm-hmm. It seems like conservatives were finally finding their footing again, or slowly. Yeah, yeah. To. They definitely had taken their lumps recently, mm-hmm. specifically with Nixon. <laughs> yep. Backed by a group of wealthy Southern Californian entrepreneurs headed by auto dealer Holmes Tuttle and encouraged by Nancy Reagan, Reagan ran for governor of... Actually, no, that would... Uh, let me correct that. Nixon had been president. Yeah, uh, and Nixon was yeah. president after the yeah. 60s. Yeah, he was after that. Yeah. Correction. Backed by a group of wealthy Southern California entrepreneurs headed by auto dealer Holmes Tuttle and encouraged by Nancy Reagan, Reagan ran for governor of California in 1966 against two-term incumbent Democratic Governor Edmund G. Brown. After defeating a well-known moderate Republican in the primary, Reagan won the governorship by nearly a million votes and was re-elected for a second term in 1970. During his go- oh, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say it's he that that shows his political skill early on. Mm-hmm. He, he knew how to get uh, in front of the narratives. Mm-hmm. During his governorship, Reagan proved to be more pragmatic than his critics, or indeed many of his supporters, had anticipated. <laughs> Especially notable was his quick agreement to a record tax increase to solve an inherited budget deficit. Mm, that's not very Republican mm, of you, Mr. That wasn't Reagan. very Reaganomics of you. Mm. <laughs> As his successor once said, read my lips, no new taxes. <laughs> Reagan also restored order on California's tumultuous university and college campuses, worked with Democrats to achieve welfare reform legislation and property tax relief, and protected the wild rivers of the, na- of the state's north coast. Mm-hmm. On balance, his successes outnumbered his failures, which included a clumsy attempt to reform the state's mental hospitals, and an ill-fated initi- initiative that would have imposed a state and local government spending cap. Boosted by his success in California, Reagan made an abortive run for the presidency in 1968, a candidacy that divided his followers and national conservatives. Some of them wanted Reagan to seek the presidency. Others believed he should prove himself longer as governor before running for higher office. He needs a bit more time to cook. It's interesting how many presidents used to, you know, basically, they ran in a primary before and lost, and then they come back and win. I mean, Joe Biden, that happened multiple times. Mm Mm-hmm. Trying to please both factions, Reagan ran a half-hearted campaign that came to naught. But in 1976, with the governorship behind him, Reagan just missed resting the Republican presidential nomination from Gerald Ford, who had become president in 1974 after the resignation of Richard Nixon. 
it's so side note there was another thing he did as governor which is very controversial he introduced no fault divorce in california oh. yes which is still kind of controversial even today mm-hmm. because obviously the divorce rate skyrocketed in california after that because for a lot of reasons but mainly women who are trapped in unhappy relationships is now well now we can finally get divorced so yeah definitely I think that's. I think it's definitely a positive thing to empower people. Yeah, but it definitely contradicts some of his later alliances with the Christian right. So. Nuclear family. Yep, nuclear family. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about personality and physical presence. Mm. Now, at the time before old Uncle Joe, he was mm. the oldest president in history. Reagan was just shy of his seventy-eighth birthday on leaving office. Yet throughout his term, he was surprisingly vigorous and relatively youthful in appearance. Okay, all right, all right, Brad, I need to bring up something that I was burdened by when I was doing the research. Yes. Ronald Reagan, as president, was 78 and old and wrinkly. Mm Mm-hmm. He is, on balance, probably the most attractive person to ever be in the presidency. I would say... He's at least top three. He is definitely a pretty attractive, especially for his age. Yeah. And even before then, he was pretty attractive. You know, he's... He, I don't know if he quite can dethrone Handsome okay, Frank. Okay, so... That would like, take a contest. I think he's definitely in the S tier, though, of mm. Handsome Frank, JFK... Yes. ...and Ronald Reagan. Yes, they could rock a Speedo, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Undoubtedly. Yep. Just something that needs to be said for, at the end of all this, when we do many, many more rankings mm-hmm. for, like, handsomeness and yep. sauciness. Yeah, and it's like poor Lincoln. Oh, poor, poor Lincoln. Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, he's ro- he's down there around C or D tier somewhere. Yep. <laughs> Although he was tall. He was tall, but he did admit that he wasn't good looking. He was like, well, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so um, he was relatively youthful in appearance. He stood six feet, one inch tall, weighed about 185 pounds, and had blue eyes and thick brown hair with only a touch of gray. You know, you gotta feel bad for the short guys, because it feels like we haven't had a short president in a very long time. They've all been six foot something. Yeah. Is Joe Biden six foot something? I'm pretty sure he is. Hmm. I'm almost certain. If I could be wrong, but... Severely nearsighted since childhood, he began wearing contact lenses as early as the 1940s. He was hard of hearing ever since another actor fired a pistol near his head during the making of a motion picture. Oh, wow. Dang. He began wearing a hearing aid in his right ear in, right ear in 1983, his left ear in 1985. In 1957, he nearly dies of viral pneumonia. At a oh, wow. celebrity baseball game, a few years later, he shattered his right thigh bone in six places, sliding into first base. Ouch. He spent months in traction and never regained complete flexibility in the leg. As president, he suffered from hay fever and enlarged prostate, ouch, that was corrected in 1987, and diverticulosis. Mm. In July 1985, President Reagan underwent surgery for colon cancer. In an operation lasting nearly three hours, doctors excised a two-foot section of the large of the upper large intestine containing a malignant tumor. Wow. About two inches in diameter that had grown into the intestinal wall but had not yet penetrated it. He survived a lot. I know. He was, he was a tough dude. Mm-hmm. Small benign polyps appeared in the colon from time to time thereafter and were surgically removed. In 1985 and again in 1987, he had a small malignant growth, a basal cell carcinoma removed from the outside surface of his nose. Two weeks before he left office, he underwent surgery to correct Dupontrin's contraction of his left hand, a harmless but progressive condition that had left him unable to straighten his right finger. I feel like today, if a president had all those medical issues, there would be a big deal about it. Oh, it it. would be a huge controversy. 
President Reagan spoke in a soft, though clear, well-modulated voice uh-huh. developed through his years as a radio broadcaster. Makes sense. And mm-hmm. I believe when he, like, went under the knife for, like, those three hours, um, I think that George Bush was, like, temporarily made president. Which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You can't... You gotta have someone, like, serve the mm-hmm. presidency. Yes. So let's talk about his personality. And this is all coming from the presidential ham, as usual. Yes. The only professional actor to become president, Reagan earned the nickname The Great Communicator for his effective use of television in presenting the administration's program. He was a gifted raconteur? How do you you say that? Uh, I have honestly not heard seen that word before. Really? A raconteur? I've seen it before. Yeah, I think I've seen it, but he was a good speaker. Yeah, yeah. Wait, okay, I'm going to define it, because I think it might be more like alongside yeah. a negotiator. Yeah. I was just going to say, it'll be interesting to see what Reagan's true personality is like, because he had such a, you know, image and way of expressing mm. himself. And that radio voice really worked well for him, because oh, he yeah. so many memorable quotes. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, so, do you think Donald Trump would be considered a professional actor? Because <laughs> I was thinking that when you said that, mm. I'm like... I mean, he's a professional TV personality. Exactly. Like it's when you're in a reality show, it's kind of questionable yeah. whether you're an actor or not. I mean, some people, some more cynical people would say, yeah, it's all acting, but it's still like reality. Mm-hmm. All right. So, raconteur is a person who tells anecdotes in a skillful and amusing way. Um, I'm gonna look up the pronunciation. It sounds French to me. Yeah. Like. You know, if, if, if fancy, if a word sounds fancy, it's probably French. All right, all right. YouTube, how to pronounce raconteur. Briefs. What the? No. <laughs> that is not That's what not we were it. looking for. What, what? Friends, we're going through some technical difficulties. Okay, okay. we got this. All right, what we got here? Come on. Is he going to say it? Raconteur. 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 Okay. All right. Raconteur. Ever, I don't know if I've ever heard that word before. No, I've never heard it I, said before. I think presidential ham just liked being fancy. Yeah, I think they do. So, all right. Hey, we all learned something new today. Yep, yep. All right. Um, by all accounts, he was affable, cheerful, even-tempered, and forever optimistic. According to Hedrick Smith of the New York Times, quote, His aw shucks manner and charming good looks disarm those from a distance who thought of him as a far-right fanatic. Mm. You know, I actually saw a cartoon this today. It was actually about Bill Clinton, and basically it was Franklin Pierce talking to Bill Clinton, and Frank Pierce was like, how do I get people to like me? Bill Clinton said, you can get away with anything as long as you got that good southern charm. <laughs> I mean, Reagan had some charm. Yeah, it really he did. Helped. He was very charming. Anne Edwards, a chronicler of Reagan's early years, described him as aloof intensely private and reluctant to real, reveal much about himself to those outside his family mm-hmm. and a rash of so-called kiss and tell books by such administration insiders as budget director david stockman press secretary larry speaks white house chief of staff donald donald regan regan <laughs> deputy deputy chief of staff michael deaver and secretary of state alexander haig the president was portrayed as a remarkably passive figure disengaged from day-to-day operations, timid about asserting his authority, inept at personal confrontation, and lacking at times even basic understanding of major issues. His impatience for detail and his willingness to delegate much authority to his staff came in for sharp criticism in the wake of the Iran-Contra affair. Yes, which I will discuss in detail. As president, he permitted his schedule to be influenced by an astrologer, 
consulted by Mrs. Reagan, but denied uh, uh, that policy issues ever based on uh, astrological, uh, astrological forecasts are made. I remember my mom mentioning that. She's yeah. like, well, you know, Nancy Reagan was involved in some occult stuff. <laughs> she was. Yeah. And uh, Reagan also confessed to being claustrophobic. So, like, definitely some interesting things going on behind the scenes. Because, mm-hmm. like, obviously, like, I think Reagan, for a lot of, like, logical reasons, is seen as, like, a strong president. Yes. But, like, he was definitely, like, a little bit more subdued in the actual day-to-day stuff. And I've also read that, like, he stopped working every day at 5 o'clock. He, oh, ha- wow. he, he had a very strict, like, policy of, like, if you overwork, then uh, you're not really working at all, and you're just hurting yourself. And he even said a quote to the effect of, like, I mean, successful people don't overwork. <laughs> That's true. Like, that is smart. On the other hand, you are the president, and, you know, being the president is, you know, it's, it's a little little bit, it's a little bit more important than, you know, most other jobs. And I believe he spent over, uh, I think it was around 380 days on his... Uh, in his ranch in California during his presidency. Mm. But, I mean, spread over eight years, that's a little different. Yeah, it's a little different. You know, what's interesting about this is he kind of reminds me of a lot of actors I've met where they can, when they're in their performance, they can be all sorts of different people. Yeah. But when they're by themselves, sometimes they're a little bit more timid. They're a little bit more subdued, mm-hmm. which is, that's interesting. It makes sense where his acting element comes into play. Yeah, definitely. So, Brad, what do you think his enneagram type is? Because oh. I, I haven't pulled up what uh, what the what the majority of people say. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm trying to remember. So, it it this one surprised me. I wasn't expecting this one. Okay, I'm I think I might be getting this wrong. But an eight, maybe? Nope. Eights eights are the most aggressive. Oh, like, that's very right. much like okay. the Andrew Jackson. Types. Okay, I think I was getting that mixed up with nine. Yep, or something. you nine. are yep. correct. Yeah, I was getting nines mixed up with eights. So as a type nine, Ronald tends to be accepting, optimistic, and adaptive. Mm-hmm. Ronald generally likes peace and avoids conflict. Mm-hmm. And he tends to be friendly, opportunistic, and supportive. Mm. Nines are the peacemakers. That's interesting. I th- well, we're going to see that play out in foreign policy mm-hmm. a little bit. And, po- and nines are definitely, like, some of the more, like, inward, like, they kind of, like, let their emotions, like, cook inside until mm-hmm. they, like, ultimately just explode mm-hmm. in, like, a bunch of emotion all at once. So, I'd be curious to see, like, from, like, his personal life, like, how that... Yeah, it, it definitely seems like he's a... Even though he's known as, like, the ultimate conservative candidate, his actual personality wasn't... didn't really match up with what you think that would be. No, no, he was a lot more soft-spoken and, like honestly pliable mm-hmm. than i expect yeah, like he almost kind of has this maybe grandfatherly nature yeah like your grandpa's telling you about the old days and sharing some wisdom and you know mm-hmm. telling you how things need to be okay so i have two more things to discuss okay first of all his love life mm. So in 1938 Reagan co-starred in the film Brother Rat with actress Jane Wyman they announced their engagement at the Chicago Theater and married on January 26, 1940, at the Wee Kirk O. The Heather Church in Glendale, California. Together, they had two biological daughters, Maureen and Christine. Um, now, Maureen lived until 2001, but Christine died prematurely mm-hmm. uh, on, in 1947. Okay. And they adopted a son, Michael. After the couple had arguments about Reagan's political ambitions, Wyman filed for divorce in 1948. Ah, I th- 
I actually did not know yeah. Reagan had been divorced. I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. And that's especially interesting with like the divorce legislation he helped pass yes. through California later on. Yes. So, um, let's see. Um, Wyman filed for divorce, citing a distraction due to her husband's Screen Actors Guild union duties. Hmm. The divorce was finalized in 1949. Wyman, who is a registered Republican, also stated that their breakup stemmed from a difference in politics. Reagan was still a Democrat at the time. (laughs) So if she'd literally just waited a few more years. That is interesting. Yep. When Reagan became a president 32 years later, he became the first divorced person to assume the nation's highest office. I'm surprised that didn't bring more controversy. Well, maybe it did. Maybe it did. Yeah. Reagan and Wyman continued to be friends until his death. Wyman voted for Reagan in both his runs. (laughs) Because she was a conservative. Yeah. And on his death, she said, quote, America has lost a great president and a great, kind, and gentle man. Hmm. It's interesting that, I mean... I don't know because I haven't looked into it. There's no obvious infidelity there. No, you would expect with an you know a big name actor and yeah. a politician. It's, that... it, it definitely like leads to tropes, but mm-hmm. didn't seem like there was anything like that going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I uh, I was shocked to hear that. Mm. So Reagan met actress Nancy Davis. I did not know she was an actress. I as did well. not know that either. In 1949, after she contacted him in his capacity as president of the Screen Actors Guild. He helped her with issues regarding her name appearing on a communist blacklist in Hollywood. Fascinating. Mm. I hope they made a movie about that, because that sounds really interesting. That does sound interesting. She had been mistaken for another Nancy Davis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a communist. (laughs) She described their meeting by saying, quote, I don't know if it was exactly love at first sight, but it was pretty close. Ah, that's nice. They were engaged at Chasen's Restaurant in Los Angeles and were married on March 4th. 1952. So there was a good like three years in between there. Normally these presidents are like, meet someone, marry within six months. Yep. So, I mean I'll hand it to him for that. That's what Grover Cleveland did. Yeah. (laughs) At the Little Brown Church in the Valley. Uh, That was San San Fernando Valley. Mm. After, uh, actor William Holden served as best man at the ceremony. They had two children, Patty and Ronald, or Ron. The couple's relationship was close, authentic, and intimate. During his presidency, they often displayed affection for each other. One press secretary said, quote, They never took each other for granted. They never stopped courting. Mm. He, he often called her, quote, Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> and she called him Ronnie. Ronnie. <laughs> That's cute. Yep. He once wrote to her, quote, Whatever I treasure and enjoy, all would be without meaning if I didn't have you. Aww. <laughs> in 1998, while he was stricken by Alzheimer's, Nancy told Vanity Fair, quote, Our relationship is very special. We were very much in love and still are. When I say my life began with Ronnie, well, it's true. It did. I can't imagine life without him. Nancy Reagan, of course, passed on March 6, 2016. I was not expecting their marriage, of all people, to be wholesome. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that either. Like, I got the sense there wasn't a lot of, like, scandal, yeah. but that is interesting. Mm-hmm. And and it makes sense, like, with everything that, like, kind of Republicans and, like, conservatives, like, deify about the Reagans, yes. where it's like, oh, yeah, like, they're, like, paragons of, like, what marriage should be. Yes, that is very interesting. It's... Reagan, I say this almost about every president, but Reagan was not what I was expecting. No, no, he wasn't. Okay, so this is the final piece of intel for me. Gotcha. And 
I I had to include it because okay. it it connects to previous things we've talked about, and it's just too spicy not to talk about. All right, all right. So this is gonna get a little specific, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I'm gonna tell a little bit of a story. Okay. About Ronald Reagan in his days as governor and a secret recorded conversation with then President Richard Nixon. Okay. All right. Richard Nixon's racism and bigotry are well established. Yes. Largely due to the approximately 3,432 hours of secret recordings he made during his presidency. I just don't like the Jews. <laughs> I just say. The Miller Center began its presidential recordings program in 1998 to make accessible these and other once-secret White House tapes, which continue to offer insights about not only Nixon, but also the many individuals of the era who are featured in the recordings, including Ronald Reagan, Mm -hmm. then governor of California. In July uh, July 2019, thanks to the efforts of Timothy J. Neftali, former chief of the Miller Center's presidential recordings program, so this is something the Miller Center found out themselves. That's really cool. And former director of the Richard Nixon Presidential Library Museum, the National Archives and Records Administration restored previously excised portions of one Nixon tape, including a six-second segment, formerly withheld as private, mm. but included racist comments by Reagan. Mm. As Naftali wrote in The Atlantic, the conversation took place on October 26, 1971, roughly eight months after the taping system was installed. Reagan, a popular and rising leader of the conservative wing of the Republican Party, had just returned from a 14-day visit to Asia and the Pacific as a special representative of the president. Reagan's stops included South Vietnam and Taiwan. And this was, of course, the Republican of China or Nationalist China at the time. Yes. Reagan was tired and furious at the news that the United Nations General Assembly had just voted to expel Taiwan and seat instead the Communist People's Republic of China. Mm Mm-hmm. For his part, Nixon could not dismiss Reagan's ideas outright. He needed to secure his conservative base for coming for coming congressional votes, and particularly for the presidential campaign of 72. Just prior to leaving for Asia, Reagan had pledged his support for Nixon's re-election, but his degree of enthusiasm, enthusiasm could not be taken for granted by the president. <laughs> this is such a Nixon thing to be paranoid about. Oh, yeah. At the same time, Nixon did not want to jeopardize the emerging diplomatic opening to the PRC, which involved finessing the issue of the sovereignty of Taiwan without alienating regional U.S. allies like South Korea and South Vietnam. That's not something we're dealing with today at all. No, not of course not. So Nixon was in a bind. Yep. <laughs> Reagan suggests Nixon announced that the United States would no longer participate or be bound by U- United Nations votes, <laughs> which is hardcore. Yep. Um, let's see. Um, Reagan then turns to a racist trope to express his frustration with how African nations voted. Nixon laughs. And this is what Ronald Reagan said. And there's going to be some sensitive stuff said. Um, I'm going to read it, but there is a content warning. Yes. To see those those monkeys from those African countries, President Nixon laughs. Mm-hmm. Damn them. They're still uncomfortable wearing shoes. Oof. Ronald Reagan. Oof. Just over two hours later, Nixon discusses the matter with his Secretary of State, William P. Rogers, to consider how to minimize the damage to the administration without jeopardizing efforts to improve relations with communist China. Calling Reagan's proposal ridiculous (laughs) and adding that, in effect, Bill, it is like getting out of the UN. He asks Rogers to speak with Reagan in an effort to placate him. Early in the call, he repeats and even amplifies the California governor's racism. This is a quote by Nixon. I found that what outraged him, and I think this is, I find this typical of a lot of people, they saw it on television, and he said, quote, these cannibals jumping up and down. 
Oh, boy. Yep. Oof. A close listen to the call reveals more than just overt racism on, on part of both men. However, and reflects a larger worldview about what kinds of people are worthy of American attention. Mm. Although Nixon expresses sympathy with Reagan's views about the UN, he directly contradicts the latter's view of the institution as a, quote, debating society. When he refers to tensions between India and Pakistan, quote, The UN may have to play some damn role there, he says, trying to convince Reagan of the UN's value, because we don't want to get involved in that miserable place. Mm. The end of this portion of the conversation is also revealing. The two leaders agree on the, quote, moral bankruptcy of allowing the People's Republic of China to replace Taiwan by a simple majority vote. Nixon reaches for a hypothetical example of another outrageous act. It would be like, he says, throwing out other nations, such as Portugal and South Africa. Although the latter was seen as a bulwark against communism, its policy of apartheid appears not to factor into the moral calculation. Mm. When Reagan did eventually become president, the issue of South African apartheid rose to the front of American consciousness. Instead of confronting the regime, Reagan chose to emphasize engagement, trade, and the history of friendly relations. Ah, uh, yes. So this sets the table for a lot of things that we'll talk about. But yeah. um, I, I wanted to kind of get a sense of, like, Reagan's, like, kind of feelings about, like, race. And, like, this is this is more anecdotal, obviously. Yeah, but uh, it definitely is illuminating about, like, his relationship with, like, Nixon and how, like, even Nixon saw kind of uh, Reagan, at least at the time, as kind of like this more radical element of yes. Republicans. Yes, that he had to control. Yeah. So, before we get into his foreign policy, I've got a stay of the nation, and this one's going to be a different one. Oh, give it to us. So, since it's the 80s, let's talk about some fun stuff. First of all, we get the foundings of a few multiple bands that you may have heard oh, of. Oh, yeah. In 1981, Metallica is founded in Los Angeles by James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. Their first album, Kill Em All, came out in 1983. <laughs> but they aren't the only band formed. We also get Slayer, found in 1981. Yeah. That infamous band with the inverted pentagram. And, of course, we get Megadeth in 1983. Dave Mustaine! Dave Mustaine! Metal really came in its own these, but did have some issues as identity. Here's a quote from metal.mit.edu. In Los Angeles, many bands developed a streamlined approach with a neutral, simplified sound and focused on theatrics and showmanship. Bands like Poison, Motley Crue, and Rat led the movement affectionately known as hair metal. Yep. But moving along I-5, other bands embarked on a path diametrically opposed to the hair movement. Drawing inspiration from the original metal bands, a new subgenre of metal coalesced thrash metal, led by Metallica, Exodus, and Testament, as well as Megadeth and Slayer. By the end of the 1980s, heavy metal has become schizophrenic, developing in two converging directions, with each pushing conventions to extremes. So it's, it's, it's weird to think of that during Reagan, it's like the birth of conservatism, you have like this very anti-establishment, aggressive form of music coming into its own. And uh, fun fact, me and Brad are both metalheads. Yes, indeed. So let's talk about Reagan's foreign policy. So Reagan is known mainly for domestic policy, but he has a pretty interesting foreign policy. So let's dig in. So Reagan was quite firm in his idea that Carter was a weak leader who made America weak. In his last debate with Jimmy, he said, Is America as respected throughout the world as it was? Do you feel that we're as strong as we were four years ago? Man, this is stuff they still repeat today. Yep. Now, Reagan was playing on the idea that America had weakened its role in the world stage and its interaction with the Soviet Union. And let's not forget, this is only a few years after the loss of Vietnam. 
So that had really hurt America's ego. Mm -hmm. Now, Reagan initially had believed in containment theory, much like Truman and Eisenhower, but he wasn't a big fan of detente. And detente, that was what Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford followed, basically, let's just let's just make those tensions less. Let's, let's lower the temperature. Let's cool the room. Cool the room, the Joe Biden method. He thought the Soviets had taken advantage of detente, and the Soviets had more to benefit from disarmament treaties like SALT II. He told the Washington Post interview that it would be a great benefit to the United States if we started a buildup of missiles, because he believed the Soviets couldn't keep up. Reagan also was pretty anti-communist, calling the Soviet Union an evil empire and the focus of evil in the modern world in a famous speech. At the same time, Reagan wasn't a big fan of the mutually assured destruction theory. Really? That war wouldn't start because they would just kill everyone in a nuclear holocaust. In reality, Reagan thought this was a truly mad policy. He worried about a mistake leading to a nuclear war, when there, which there was a near-miss on September 26, 1983, when a Soviet satellite system mistakenly reported a U.S. nuclear attack. Luckily, they figured out it was a false alarm because of Stanislav Petrov, an officer in the Soviet Air Defense Forces. So, another near-miss. Yeah, I was about to say, that would, that got to be about Cuban Missile Crisis yep. level close. As for Reagan himself, he thought the wholesale annihilation of civilians was immoral. The military argued what Reagan really wanted was a world free of nuclear weapons. Hmm. Now, Reagan relied on a lot in his cabinet for foreign strategy, but had quite a lot of people moving in and out. For one, Alexander Haig left as Secretary of State after only 18 months due to conflicts he had with other White House staff and Nancy Reagan. He didn't get along with Nancy. Really? I didn't know she was that involved with day-to-day stuff. Yep. And his place rose George Shultz, a Stanford economist who was more in line with what Reagan wanted. Reagan's now security council had a pretty large revolving door since Reagan thought the State Department should have control of the council. Colin Powell was actually the last to serve on this council. Hmm. Initially, Reagan focused on military buildup, along with his allies like Margaret Thatcher in uh, England, yes. the PM of England. He wanted to strengthen the military, persuade allies in Europe, the U.S. would stand by them, and encourage Soviets to come to the bargaining table. And Reagan was willing to spend an astronomically huge amount of money to do this. He upped the military budget to $220 billion in 1981. This was the largest peacetime military budget in history in the United States. Sounds about right. This number would go all the way up to $1 trillion by 1985. Whoa! While this did modernize the army and boost the public confidence, it also caused big deficits and national debt and assured there would be no balanced budget during Reagan at any time during his presidency. Yep. Reagan would say to his advisors, defense is not a budget issue. You spend what you need. Hmm. Mm, very interesting. <laughs> On the public side of things, Reagan kept up the intense rhetoric, saying things like, the West won't contain communism, it will transcend communism. Whoa. And the march of freedom and democracy will leave Marxism-Leninism on the ash heap of history. And yet, the Soviet Union was in turmoil as well, with three different leaders coming and going during this time. Also, Reagan made a few interesting decisions. For one, he ended Carter's embargo on American grain sales to the Soviet Union, which Carter put in place to punish the Soviet Union for invading Afghanistan. Hmm. So he got rid of sanctions on Russia, something that's going on today. So a little softer in that sense. Yeah. Also, Reagan backed down from fully repudiating SALT II, since the Joint Chiefs of Staff said that renouncing this treaty before the U.S. finished its buildup would help the Soviets. Reagan also agreed to start a new round of negotiations, which he called Strategic Arms Reduction Talks. And then Reagan got a little sci-fi. Oh, we talking talking a little Star Wars? Yes. In 1983, Reagan would announce plans for a missile defense system called the Strategic Defense Initiative, SDI, which aimed to put a shield in outer space to protect the U.S. from nuclear missiles. I like it. I like which it just, a lot. It sounds a little goofy. 
Critics called this Star Wars, <laughs> and the actual feasibility of this was questionable, to say the least. <laughs> but the We're going to so- put a big force field around America. But the Soviets did take it seriously. Then in 1983, the Soviets shot down a Korean Airlines passenger plane that straight off course killing 269 people. Reagan announced it, didn't do much else. Then a military exercise by America called Able Archer, which was meant to simulate a nuclear exchange, caused the Soviets to go into high alert because they're like, hey, they're doing something weird. Now, Reagan was a strong believer in supporting anti-communist freedom fighters. He continued Jimmy Carter's support for El Salvador to destroy Marxist rebels and what the Miller Center describes as a cruel civil war. Reagan called America to support these anti-communist freedom fighters from Afghanistan and Nicaragua. This is what's known as the Reagan Doctrine. Hmm. Now, in reality, Reagan only applied this doctrine sparringly. He supported Afghanistan rebels, sure, but but he only other supported rebels in Nicaragua and Angola. Now, Reagan would give secret aid to a group called the Contras, and put a pin in that name, we're going to come back to them later. Very important. But Reagan was careful in other ways. He didn't send troops to Panama because he knew the Latin America saw America as the Colossus of the North. Reagan would intervene in Granada when the Marxist leader of the country, Maurice Bishop, was murdered. U.S. military forces entered the area, subdued a detachment of Cuban forces, and freed American medical students taken hostage there. But then news came out that the CIA had not only mined Nicaraguan ports, but also gave the Contras an instructional manual that taught and encouraged terrorism and assassination. Nothing like teaching foreign foreign people's terrorism. Yeah. They were also involved in the cocaine trade. <laughs> Whoa. The Senate would condemn the mine by 84 to 12, and Congress officially prohibited the White House from funding the Contras in 1984. The CIA officer in charge of the operation, Dwayne Dewey Claridge, would admit that the Contras are murdering civilians and Sandista officials in the provinces, as well as heads of cooperatives, nurses, doctors, and judges. They also routinely use death squads, so not the nicest people. Not great. Now Reagan would get involved in other foreign shenanigans. Just seen a peacekeeping force during a war between Lebanon and Israel, since Israel had invaded to deal with PLL troops. But when U.S. troops left, Lebanese militia began massacring Palestinians and Lebanese Shiites. This group was done. This was done by a Maronite Christian Lebanese right-wing party with ties to Israeli defense forces. So the Israelis paid Christians in Lebanon to kill Muslims in Lebanon. Whoa! This group killed between 460 and 3,500 civilians. Reagan sent the peacekeeping troops back, but then Americans got involved in a bloody civil war as a group called Hezbollah emerged and blew up a trunk in, a truck in front of the American embassy in Beirut, killing 17 Americans. Then, on October 23, 1983, terrorists blew up the Marines' barrack in Beirut, killing 241 U.S. servicemen. Wow. That's a lot. Reagan would call this the saddest day of my presidency, the saddest day of my life. And he would eventually withdraw American troops, calling for redeployment, but he would never again send troops to the Middle East. Because he was kind of done with that. But he would, however, bomb Libya, when Muammar al-Qaddafi sponsored a, straight, a spring of terrorist attacks. 37 people died in the attacks, but Gaddafi escaped and the terrorism continued. I was about to say, uh, I don't think that was re- resolved. Nope. Legum will also get in trouble for what's known as the Iran's Contra affair. So, let's, let's dive into this. The U.S. had sold anti-tank missiles to Iran to support it during the Iran-Iraq war, when a certain Saddam Hussein had invaded Iran, mm-hmm. and to get back hostages from Hezbollah. Even though America was officially neutral, and America was, according to law, not supposed to sell arms to Iran. <laughs> Initially, they actually gave aid to Iraq. But then, a small group in the National Security Council funneled proceeds from these illegal sales to the Contra rebels, who the, who the president was also not supposed to sell arms to. <laughs> this sounds like, like, impeachable stuff. Yep. 
As the song from American Dad goes, Reagan got around the 6C Congress. <laughs> Reagan would say he authorized the sale of missiles, but he had no knowledge of the funds the Contras. Then it came out that Reagan had approved the sale to produce the release of American hostages. But the issue was, America had been selling weapons to Iran before the hostage crisis had <laughs> begun. So, the situ- so it gets worse. And Israel had helped coordinate this deal, so Iran would keep fighting Iraq. And Israel was technically not on good terms with Iran either. Oh, no. This also went against Reagan's idea of not negotiating with terrorists. But he said, well, I worked with the middlemen, not with the actual terrorists. Oh, man. Then he sent, so he sent 500 missiles to allegedly get one guy freed. But then Hezbollah realized, oh, you know, we can kidnap more people, get more missiles. <laughs> then another <laughs> economy, you Then see. another 1,000 missiles were sent and they got a few more hostage freed. Then during all of this, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North came up with a plan to divert the proceeds of the sales to the Contras, as well as get donations from the Saudis to the Contras. This man is a true hero. Yep. So the second Bolin Amendment Congress had passed, which I mentioned, that, that was the amendment that prohibited funding to the Contras. But the CIA was involved and kept all the money off the books. And the CIA possibly bought cocaine from the Contras to fund the resistance and then possibly pumped the cocaine into American streets. Oh, no. What? Yes. So this is a big issue. So, and a lot of minority areas in America, and I, I would need to confirm this, but I'm pretty sure and this is true, is that a lot of the reason why cocaine came into those communities is because of the CIA. So there's big problem. That's one of the reasons why there's a drug problem in many of the lower income this, majority black portions of America. This seems like something I should have learned about. Yeah. <laughs> As a child in school. Yes, indeed. It's it's very uh, covered up and hushed up. Now, when a Lebanese paper broke the news about all this, Reagan tried to recover, but he didn't seem credible to the public. And because people had kind of gone over this sort of stuff after Nixon. Oh, uh, yeah. So Oliver North decided to take the fall for it. He was fired, and Admiral John Poindexter was asked to resign. Poindexter would be convicted on five felony carts, and North was convicted of three, but these were all set aside, and Oliver North was pardoned. Of course he was. Oliver North is quite a popular figure today in right-wing circles, and it was actually George H. Bush who would pardon North. A big theory that North took the fall so Reagan wouldn't get in trouble. And Reagan was saying in a speech, A few months ago I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it's not. (laughs) So overall, he tried, he tried to claim ignorance. Oh, but man. Plausible deniability. I don't believe that, and nope, I don't nope. think most people believe that. Nope, that's shady. Yep. So, but let's talk about maybe one of the better sides of his foreign policy. So what he's most famous for is his deals with old Mikhail Gorbachev, who aimed to transform the Soviet Union. So it's been through several years, such as Yuri Andropov and Konstantin Yeranervo, who both died in the 80s. Gorbachev aimed to restructure the Soviet economy and liberalize politics. But in order to do that, better relations with Americans would help. Gorbachev thought by doing this, they could reinvest military funds in the struggling economy. Thatcher called him an unusual Russian, and in 1985, Reagan and Gorbachev met in Geneva. The meeting had some issues through argument on SDI, Afghanistan, and which Gorbachev signally won out of. But then they met again in Iceland in 1986, where they discussed the possibility of getting rid of all nuclear weapons. And Gorbachev actually did believe in this, and Reagan did as well. However, the meeting ended abruptly when Gorbachev asked that any SDI work, Star Wars work, be done in the laboratory. Reagan refused, and then Reagan abruptly ended the meeting. Gorbachev refused. 
But following this meeting, the Soviets told the U.S. to plan to end the war in Afghanistan, and the two countries crafted a treaty to remove intermediate nuclear missiles from Europe. The two leaders signed the INF Treaty in December 1987. 2,600 weapons were to be destroyed. And Gorbachev would give a speech in the U.N. saying he'd re reduce Soviet military forces in the Eastern Europe by 500,000 soldiers and 10,000 tanks. Reagan would then officially visit the Soviet Union in 1988. And when a reporter reminded him of his evil empire comment, Reagan would said, well, I was talking about another time, another era. Uh, <laughs> another era that was just like a few years ago. I'm just going to sidestep that one. Mm -hmm. Now, a quick side note, because you're probably wondering about that famous speech. So a lot of folks talk about the speech, so let's just, just read it a little bit. It might be the most recognizable mm -hmm. Reagan quote. We welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that will be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom of speech. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity with the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And he was referring, of course, to the Berlin Wall, which divided West Berlin from East Berlin. Now, in reality, the speech had little coverage from the media and wasn't really viewed as important until 1989 when the wall came down. Plus, some have argued he did the speech as a way to show right-wing critics he was still tough on communism. Or it may have been an invitation for Mr. Gorbachev to keep working more closely with the U.S. and for him to make his hold him to his commitment to make the Soviet less militaristic. But Jake F. Matlock, career diplomat, writing his book Reagan-Gorbachev, How the Cold War Ended, that both were willing to take political risks, and both were skilled in judging the degree of risks in their respective, very different societies. They didn't always get things right, but on the most critical issues, they finally did. Hmm. Which is very interesting, because it's almost like, to ask a question, how much credit do you think Reagan should really get for ending the Cold War? This is sort of like Ooh. not really a... It's almost like a pre-Final Caucus question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it's a very good question because obviously, like, Soviet Union didn't fall, fall until, what, 91? Yeah, under George H. Bush. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I think that the, the whole Gorbachev tear down this wall thing was definitely, like, a, arguably the most positive American moment from mm -hmm. the Cold War. Yes. But... I don't know, it seems like it has more to do with the fact that, like, Gorbachev was more amicable. <laughs> yeah. I get the sense that, like, yes, Reagan's tactics didn't help, yeah. but Russia was already sort of collapsing in of itself yeah. due to bad economy and a disastrous war. And then Gorbachev was like, all right, I want to, you know, make things right. And to quote the rap battle, the infamous rap battle, I shook hands with both Ronalds, Reagan and McDonald's, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> if your name end with in, time to get out. <laughs> that might be, that's like top three epic rap battles yeah. right there. Yeah, I would say it's like, it seems like his tactics weren't as hawkish as I might have imagined. Yeah, yeah. Other than the whole Iran-Contra thing. Yeah, that was... That's just a whole thing. We could have done a whole podcast on the Iran-Contra thing. Mm -hmm. like, that is like... That's a, that should be in, in the same conversation as like Watergate almost. Yeah. To, again, to quote the American Dad song, because what they did was technically high treason. Yeah. All in North. All in North. He's a hero. And he's a patriot. And he's also on Fox News. <laughs> oh, man. We, we live in a wild society We sometimes. do, indeed. And it's so weird that this one kind of got buried. Like, yeah. not, not many people talk about this one. Like, the fact that, like, Ollie North very, like, obviously took the fall mm -hmm. to, like, where all historians kind of just agree that he did. Yeah. And that really Reagan, like, the buck should have stopped with him. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's an it's an unfortunate thing. Definitely like definitely a mixed bag with, mm-hmm. with foreign policy. There was some good, there was some treason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with all that being said, do you happen to have a final caucus for us? Uh yeah, so like my final caucus revolves around the whole idea of like Reagan conservatism in America. Okay. And I'm sure we'll talk about this more next week, mm-hmm. but this is more of kind of like a a broad question. Okay. Because obviously Reagan brought conservatism back into the american like consciousness yes in a way that it hadn't been in a while yeah because even nixon kind of like did a lot of liberal policies yeah he did and he had reagan is by far still the most successful modern conservative president Mm -hmm. and the most popular one and he was wildly popular in terms of like polls as a president yes so why haven't any Republicans since then been able to replicate what mm. Reagan did? Because going down the line, H.W., everyone's man on. Yeah. Then W., everyone was like fairly strong, then man on, thanks yeah. to Iraq. Yeah. And then with Trump, I feel like there was... There's a lot of people who were like, oh, he sucks, even within the Republican Party. But, of course, there's a vocal minority who's like, he's the best president since Reagan. Yes, yes. So, like, why haven't conservatives been able to rally around someone the same way they did around Reagan? Um, I think it's a couple of things. Number one, you had a long, decades even, of basically increasingly liberal-ish presidents. At least, you know, even even when, like, Eisenhower and Nixon, like, Nixon definitely brought it back. But there was still, like, all these liberal policies and all this change and all this, you know, new government spending. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe after many, like, 50 years of that... People were kind of, the American public, and especially seeing all the change, got tired of it, and they wanted mm-hmm. something new. They wanted a change. And Reagan was uniquely skilled because he was very personable, he had strong ideas, but he was able to wrap it in a very attractive package to America. Yeah, like he, like... Reagan was not an F your feelings kind of president. No. He not- was, ve- like, honestly, like... He is the Republican equivalent to FDR. Yes, and that's that's the thing. Because if you look at, you know, H&W, both of them were kind of... I mean, they were folksy a little bit, but they yeah. didn't really have, like, that strong sense of charisma yeah. that Reagan did. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, Trump is basically F your feelings, which, I mean, only half of the country is going to yeah, like. It only gets you so far. Yeah. Reagan just had a magnetic personality, and he was a master of optics, and that's what had happened. Because the presidents mm-hmm. after him have not been that great at optics. Mm-hmm. I mean, George H. Bush was okay with it, and W. did his best, but man, W. struggled. <laughs> w. Yeah. struggled. There were some issues. Yeah. He had a lot, w. had a lot of gaffes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Trump is basically a walking guy. <laughs> so, 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 in terms of, like, you put most of the um, credit for that to Reagan himself, then, and, like, his balancing of all the optics and all of, like, the, oh, yeah, like, I'm hyper-conservative, but I'm going to package it in a way that's reassuring as opposed to, like, authoritarian. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think it's also just because of the intense desire of many people who are moderate or conservative who didn't really like the direction the country was going. And yeah. they wanted a more of, like, a calming conservative presence who was both going to take the country back but wasn't going to freak him out. Yeah. And that's what Reagan was good at. Mm-hmm. Reagan was good because he had a calming, you know, presence. Mm-hmm. 
What what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that um, I think that he did capitalize on the time and history like mm-hmm. perfectly. Like we we see like these presidents come across like every once every like forty or fifty years that really like the the personality perfectly matches with the era. Yes. And I'm curious to see if that happens again in the next like twenty or thirty years. Mm-hmm. Um, you could you could argue that Obama was to that level. Yeah, and I think Bill Clinton was yeah. as well because yeah. Bill Clinton kind of has this '90s goofy yeah, vibe. Yeah, he does. You know? he does. He's, he's just you know he's not super serious. Yeah. you know he's just here to have a good time, mm-hmm. get some good policy done, you know something like that. Yeah, and I think that Reagan, in terms of like presidential relatability is kind of the full package mm-hmm. because he came from humble beginnings yes he quote unquote pulled himself up by his bootstraps worked his way up mm-hmm. but also was very educated in how elites worked mm, and yes. how super like rich people operated and what they cared about mm-hmm. because you're not gonna be a successful president un- unless you really are attuned to what rich people want yeah and also the fact that he, the president he defeated, Jimmy Carter, was a great man, but he was bad at optics. Jimmy yep. Carter struggled. Horrible at optics. Horrible at optics. We're almost getting to the point where, like, presidents are, like, 80% optics, 20% policy. Yep, yep, yep. Which is very interesting. I'm not sure how the founding fathers would feel about that. They probably wouldn't like it too much. No, no, no. And sprinkle that in with, like, every president, like, using crazy presidential powers. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's funny, like, just how unrecognizable the presidency is now at this point from where it was because <laughs> yeah. from where it was it was like they were uncertain if the president could even like veto stuff yeah. <laughs> like or even like negotiate war treaties yeah exactly or like purchase land or something <laughs> like that it's almost kind of like the presidency sort of stumbled upon it was like building blocks like one yeah. president pushed the boundaries and the next president pushed the boundaries it's kind of like a series of like happy accidents like setting precedents and then eventually like Lincoln comes along and you're like, okay, we kind of have an idea of what the president can do now. Yeah, very interesting. But obviously we're not going to rank him today. Nope. Stay tuned for the next episode where we're going to dive into domestic policy. And get into a little how dare you. Yes, but before we end, I wanted to to plug our Patreon. Yes, yes, yes. So we have on Patreon, which is Ranking U.S. Presidents. You can go there, find us. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, that would be awesome. You can also follow us on Twitter on President's Rank, and we just wanted to say we're trying to come up with some tiers, Patreon tiers. So maybe if we get to tier one, we'll do uh, oh that President's Fight Night, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that, or maybe who's the handsomest president of them all? Yeah, and like maybe maybe some. I I would like to uh, start doing some Patreon polls yes. of like our listeners. Like if if you're like at the lowest level, like say you give us a dollar a month, then. Uh, me and Brad are still very much in the like ideas phase for what we want to do after we rank all the presidents. Yeah. So we would love you all's input. We're going to put some crazy ideas up for stuff that might not even be history related. And we're yeah. curious to see if you're interested in that. Yes. Or even like future special episodes. Definitely. Might be interesting. Well, once again, thank you for joining us. I'm Bradley Cooper. And I am Curtis Cooper. Stay ranking. Rank.